Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope that you're well. The snow is melting, so I don't have to shovel, and I'm enjoying not needing to put on 17 layers just to go check the mail. More and more people are starting to get their COVID vaccines. I'm still pretty far down the priority list, but it's starting to feel like we're turning a corner. I don't know, maybe it's spring, but it's still good. Anyway, today's play is Plautus's Mercator, which translates simply to The Merchant. It's about a merchant. Shocking. I know. As usual, I'm working from the Henry Thomas Riley translation, which is freely available on a variety of sites, so you should have no problem finding it. We don't know much about it. One of my sources suggests it may be one of his earlier works, um, but it is undated, so that may not be accurate. Um, one of my other sources just has it listed among his totally undated, don't know where to put it in his corpus, so not sure. Our cast includes Carinus, our love-struck young man and the titular merchant, Acanthio, Carinus's clever slave, Demipho, Carinus's father, Perestrata, Carinus's mother, and her maid Lycissa. Uh, Lysimachus is Demipho's BFF, and his son, Eutychus, is Carinus's BFF. Pasacompsa is the object of Carinus's affections, and Doripa is Lysimachus's wife. We have one final named character, Sira, Lysimachus's slave, or really more Doripa's uh, maid, but the, uh, the rest of the cook, slaves, etc. are unnamed. The play is set in Athens. Two of the three upstage entrances are used. One is Demipho's house and the other is Lysimachus's house. Uh, so with that background, we'll take a short break before going over the plot. Carinus enters and delivers the prologue. He starts somewhat out of character, explaining that this is based on a Greek play by Philemon called The Emporos, which also means The Merchant. And then he dives right into the backstory of the play, going fully into character. His father sent him on a business trip to Rhodes. That took about two years, and while he was there, he fell in love. Oh, she was perfect. She is perfect. His father, though, well, he won't approve, but Carinus doesn't care. He bought his beloved's freedom and has brought her back to Athens. Now he just needs to figure out what to do about his father. He doesn't want him to find out that he's used all of his earnings to buy a girl so that he can marry her. So he's left her on the ship in the care of his servant, who is now running this way for some reason. That, that can't be good. Acanthio enters. Carinus is right. It's not good. Having heard that his son had returned to Athens, Demipho went to the ship to greet him, and he saw the girl. Thinking on his feet, Acanthio told him that she was a present for Carinus's mother. Carinus says that will never work. His girlfriend is far too pretty to be a maid. Acanthio insists that it already has worked, which is why he's come running to make sure Carinus knows to follow the same story. Carinus commends Acanthio's cleverness, and they exit. Demipho enters. He soliloquizes about this really weird dream that he had. 
he'd bought this beautiful goat, but he was concerned that his other goat would be jealous, so he gave the new goat to an ape. But then the ape came and told him that the goat had eaten his wife's dowry. Tamifo didn't believe this, but the ape insisted. But then a kid, as in a baby goat, came and told him that he'd taken uh, the the pretty goat away. I mean, weird, right? Um, do you think this might be the plot of this play? You might be right. Anyway, Demifo then goes on to talk about how after he woke up, he went down to the harbor, which is what he does every day, and he saw this ship from Rhodes. And so he went to visit uh, the ship because that would be where his son should be. Um, and there he found this woman who was, well, she was hot. Uh, turns out his son had bought her to be his mother's maid. But, oh, she, I mean, well, she's, she's hot. And Demifo has decided that he's in love with her. And now he can't think of anything else. Lysimachus enters, and Demipho shares his woes with his friend. Lysimachus rolls his eyes and exits to the harbor because he has some business to take care of. Demipho is about to follow when he sees Carinus coming. Carinus enters, talking to himself about his predicament. I mean, he bought his girlfriend for himself, but now his dad thinks she's for his mom. So what if, what if his dad takes her away and decides to sell her to someone else? Demifo greets him and asks what's going on. Carinus follows the line that his girlfriend is a gift for his mother. Demifo convinces him that, oh, she's not suitable. She should be exchanged for an old, hardy maid who can weave and chop wood and cook and stand up to a beating because slaves, you know. Besides, it's unseemly for a matron to go out escorted by a pretty maid. Demifo insists that he'll go find a suitable maid. Why, he already has a buyer for the unsuitable one. Why, why he's, he's just over, over there. Carinus argues that he has his own buyer who's just over there. Uh, and then they get into an imaginary bidding war. Demifo ultimately triumphs and tells Carinus that he'll take care of everything. And he exits towards the harbor. Carinus bemoans this turn of events. He starts to exit, but is stopped by the entrance of Eutychus. He'd been eavesdropping and overheard the whole conversation. He'd be happy to help. Carina sends him to the harbor to purchase his girlfriend before his father sells her to someone else. Eutychus exits the harbor, and Carinus exits into Demifo's house. Lysimachus and Pasacompsa enter. She is crying because she doesn't know how to be a maid. You know, she's far too pretty to, to know how to do that maid stuff. Lysimachus reassures her that she's been bought for her own master. Pasacompsa is thrilled. I mean, they've already been together for like two years. And she starts talking about Carinus, and Lysimachus is talking about Demipho, and they each get confused because they think they're talking about the same person. Lysimachus brushes off the confusion and explains that his friend asked him to give her a place to stay for the day, which is cool because his wife is at their country house today anyway. And they exit into Lysimachus's house. Demipho enters. He tells the audience that he's now purchased a mistress for himself, which is only fitting at his age. Lysimachus enters and tells Demipho that Pasacompsa has been secured, but she needs to move before his wife returns from the country tomorrow. You know, don't want her to get confused and think that this is his mistress when really she's Demipho's mistress, unless you're Pasacompsa, in which case you think that you're Carinus's mistress. It is your typical confusing plot as plot. Um, anyway, the two men exit to the forum to hire a cook and buy some food because Demifo thinks they need to have a big feast. Carinus enters, all lovesick because 
stock characters um, in U- Utica centers. He, he has bad news. Pasacompsa had already been sold by the time he got to the harbor. Karina's asked for details on the buyer. Well, okay, he's from Athens. Um, and he has gray hair. Oh, he's short. He has dark eyes. It's super, super helpful description. And this is this is all too much for Karinas to bear. He declares that he'd sooner run away than not be with his love, and he exits back into Demifo's, into Demifo's house. Eutychus declares that he will find the buyer and the girl and make his friend feel better, and he exits towards the forum. Doropa and Syra enter. Doropa had been expecting Lysimachus to meet her at the country house, but since he wasn't able to come to her, she decided to come home early to be with him, which, you know, it's kind of sweet. While Doropa makes a small prayer at the altar outside, Syra goes into the house. She comes running out, crying about the strange woman inside. Doropa steals herself for an encounter, and arm in arm, the two women exit into Lysimachus's house. Lysimachus enters, grumbling about the cost of the feast Demipho has planned. Doropa enters and accuses Lysimachus of being unfaithful to her. He tries to explain that he bought bought the the woman for uh, Demipho, not for himself. Um, but the truth becomes less convincing when the cook enters and thinks that Doropa is Lysimachus's mistress and not his wife. Doropa exits back into their house. Lysimachus finally convinces the cook to leave, and then he follows his wife off. Syra and Eutychus enter from opposite sides of the stage, each talking to themselves. Eutychus is thrilled to see her and asks for her help. He exits into Lysimachus's house. Before Syra follows, she sees Demipho's wife and hides to find out what she's um, on about. Perestrada and Lycissa enter. Perestrada has heard that her son is dying from love, and she's here to help. She'll start by talking to Doripa, who enters in the most timely of fashions, bemoaning the fact that Sierra is taking so long. She finds Sierra, who spins a tale of why she hadn't returned home yet. Doripa and Sierra prepare to exit when Perestrada calls. Together, they figure out that Carinus is in love with the young woman that Doripa believes to be her husband's mistress, and the two women plot to restore Pasacompsa to Carinus, thus solving all of their problems. All four women exit into Lysimachus's house. Carinus enters. He's preparing to run away. Eutychus enters, relieved to see that Carinus hasn't left yet, and we get a typical running away scene. I'm, I'm putting on my hat. I'm putting on my scarf. I'm putting on my coat. Eutychus explains that he's found Pasacompsa in his own house. And they exit into Lysimachus's house. Demipho and Lysimachus enter. Demipho promises to try to clear things up with Lysimachus's wife. Eutychus enters, and he tells Lysimachus that Doropa has been appeased because it turns out that Pasacompsa is Carinus's mistress, not Demipho's. Everything is cleared up, and Eutychus suggests that a law be made to keep old men out of the love lives of young men. And then he turns to the audience and says that if they agree with this law, they should applaud. And that is where the play ends. I have to say, for Plautus's abrupt endings, I kind of like this one. Um... And it's interesting to look at the bookends of this play. So we start 
our prologue with Carinus, um, not totally in character, introducing the play, you know, oh, this is this is the Greek source material, before fully slipping into um, character and giving the actual prologue backstory of the play. And we end it with Eutychus um, handling the conclusion of the plot and then slipping out of character to make a reference to to that conclusion as he tells the audience that the play is over. Um, and, I mean, it still is a weird way to end a play to just have someone turn to the audience and say, okay, it's over now, you can clap. But, but I like the fact that this one, that call for applause is linked to one of those concluding monologues. Um, and I like the fact that we have one son starting the play out of character before moving into character and the other son ending the play in character before moving out of character. And just, it's nicely, um, it nicely links the characters together as well as it, structurally, it, it's good. Um, it, it works well. Um, anyway, in my introduction, I said that Carinus is the titular merchant, um, but is he? We actually have two merchants. We have Carinus and we have Demifo. And it really isn't clear which one is the merchant mentioned in the title. Um, they have a pretty similar amount of stage time. Both are involved in the same pursuit, which is buying and selling Pasacompsa. Um, and it, they, you know, it's hard to tell really who is the lead character in this play. They they have pretty equal weight when it comes to the plot. Um, as for Pasacompsa, she she is in a precarious position. Um, the plot revolves around her, um, but it's over whose mistress she will ultimately become, not over anything that she has control over in her life. Um, and now, I mean, she is shocked to hear that her master is married, um, because that's what um, uh, who is it, Lysa, Lysimachus tells her, or Lysimachus. I probably have pronounced it two different ways, and I apologize for that. And that's what that's what he tells her. But it's because he's talking about Demifo and she's talking about Carinus. And they she she thought they were exclusive and 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 they are. I mean, really and truly we do see that Carinus is faithful to Pasacompsa, but um but it's also interesting to note that she is not she's a, a, a low status character. Um so is she of high enough status to even be able to marry Carinus? Um so will she ever even if they're exclusive, will she ever actually get that status of being a wife? Um, and and if not, then I mean, so so what is Carinus's endgame is the question. Or I mean, has he even thought that far? Which I mean, probably he hasn't. Love struck youths rarely think that far ahead. I I always like to come back to Romeo and Juliet. You know, clearly they. Romeo does not think far ahead. He is totally head over heels with in love with one woman until he sees another one. So I, I doubt that Carinus has any clue what he's doing other than I love this girl, so I'm going to figure out a way to bring her home with me. And then what happens when he gets there? Well, we see from this plot that he hadn't thought that far ahead. He thought as far as getting her from Rhodes to Athens. And then he's left her on the ship because he needs to figure out what to do next. Um... But what I really want to talk about is the stock character of the Matrona. Um, usually, she's that's character type is 
translated as like a henpecking wife or a domineering wife. Um, the character of Domina in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum is is very stereotypical of this character. These they, they these are women who are too strong. They emasculate their husbands. Um, and their husband is, is frequently the old man, a Senex character. Um, but we see two two matrons, two of the Matrona character in this play. And neither really fits that henpecking trope. Um, Doripa is upset because she thinks that her husband has taken a mistress. I mean, and it's justifiable, if you ask me. What is she supposed to think? And, and everything gets cleared up and then she's she's fine. She doesn't end, we don't end the play with a rift still existing between husband and wife. It's It's all cleared up. Um, so she is not really that stereotype of the domineering henpecking wife. Um, and then we have Perestrada, who is upset because she's worried about her son. It, it, it has nothing to do with her husband. It is purely maternal for her. Um, and, and having heard that her, her son is going to die of, of, of a broken heart. And so... She's mama. What can she do to help? Um, it, I, and I really, I really like the scene between the two of them because because it breaks the trope of the stereotypical stock character of the matrona. Um, and and I think one of the reasons is that we frequently see a matrona from the perspective of her husband who can't stand her. Um, but here we get two of them talking to each other. And sure, it doesn't exactly pass the Bechdel test, but it comes awfully close when we remember that it's 2,000 years old. And yes, I have posted um, Domina, a, a, a clip of her um, on the blog. Um, so you can get that stereotypical example. And there are also a few clips of of this play available on the blog. Um, so so what do you think of the women that we see in this play? Are they totally flat? Um, is anyone redeeming in this play? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL is in the show notes. I'm also on Patreon as triumvirclio, and that URL is also in the show notes. I apologize if you can hear my kids screaming in the background. I have no idea what's going on there. I will be finding out as soon as I log off here. Anyway, on Wednesday, we will read book two of Derarum Natura. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.